Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Dismantling You podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Pineda. I'm an international yoga and meditation retreat leader and a two-time TEDx speaker. This week's guest is the phenomenal David Dubin. He is a three-time cancer survivor. He has a genetic form of colon cancer called Lynch syndrome. It has been passed down from his grandfather to his father to him and now to his kids. Scientists estimate that about 1 in 279 people carry a Lynch syndrome mutation. David and his amazing wife, Robin, are the founders of Alive and Kickin', a foundation with a mission to improve the lives of individuals and families affected by Lynch syndrome. The foundation focuses on research, education, and screening. Alive comes from the fact that David is very much alive and enjoying life despite cancer's best efforts to take him down. Kicking comes from his passion for soccer. This episode is brought to you by Costa Rica Surf Trip. They are my partners for my annual yoga, surf, and golf retreat in February 2022. So before we get started, if you are new to the podcast, be sure to subscribe to be notified when new episodes release and don't forget to leave a review. The more reviews and shares that we get, the more people we can reach and you never know when an episode can impact someone's life. Stay tuned now for my conversation with David. You have had an incredible journey, as I've mentioned, you know, being a three-time cancer survivor. Talk us through in 1997 when you first were diagnosed. So in 1997, uh, uh, very much uh, a lot of things changed. 1996, 1997, a lot of things changed in that, um, you know, Rob and I got married. We had our first son. We bought our first house. We sold our first business. I mean, literally everything was happening. So when uh, 1997 rolled around and I started having symptoms of colon cancer, which typically are uh, blood in the stool and and a feeling of cramping, um, it was initially chalked up to uh, stress-related, even though there was a whole family history of colon cancer on my charts. Um, So like many others who uh, develop cancer in their early stages, uh, especially colon cancer, many of us would, would essentially get um, not screened properly because it was chalked up to something different than what it actually was. Um, but I was not, you know, I was, I was still maintaining a full schedule. I was still playing soccer, uh, still managing, you know, the, the business, even though it was now part of someone else's. Um, so yeah, it was it was a, a very uh, interesting time, if you will, and um, ultimately it turned out to be stage three B colorectal cancer, and and um, uh, you know just like my father before me and and his grandfather, my my grandfather before him, um, I had surgery, and I ultimately wound up having six months of chemotherapy, and we kind of move on like it's a rite of passage. Incredible. I can't imagine, you know, going through cancer once, but three times. You are just phenomenal. Give us some context on Lynch syndrome for those of us who aren't aware of it. 
Well, again, going back to uh, history, you know, we weren't talking about genetics for a very long time. Uh, it's an, it's a very new topic and it continues to evolve very quickly. So uh, Lynch syndrome is a genetic predisposition to certain types of cancer. So it's essentially a mismatch repair genetic variant. Um, if you have Lynch syndrome, it predisposes you. You have a very high percentage of getting certain types of cancer. It doesn't mean it doesn't guarantee you will, but statistically, uh, you're looking at as much as 80% chance of colorectal cancer, much as 60% uh, chance of endometrial cancer. Uh, typically, at a very young age, uh, and and it's not uh, unheard of to hear about someone who has Lynch to develop cancer in their 20s uh, and obviously 30s. Uh, which is start, which is typically younger than you know your 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 fifties and sixties when when most people start talking about colorectal cancer, so um, it is considered an autosomal dominant gene. So uh, you can inherit it from. You only need to. You only need one parent to inherit it from. So um, ultimately, it turns out that my father uh, had the the variant. It's it's called MLH one. My grandfather obviously gave it to him. Um, and I have an older brother and, and he ultimately, uh, developed colon cancer three years after me. Uh, he was older. He was 37 at the time. He's still, he's still alive. Forgive me. As I, as I like to say, still alive and kicking. Um, and, um, yeah, it just, um, it's pervasive. And, uh, if you don't know about it, which, which we could talk some statistics, um, statistically, uh, it, it initially was considered rare and then it became much less rare and, you know, um, ultimately when I was diagnosed with, with Lynch, you know, in the early two thousands or late 2000, I guess, 2007 was, was the right time. Um, it was estimated that Lynch was one in 500 Americans would have a Lynch mutation and 95% don't know about it. And they, they would find out about it by developing cancer, kind of like me. Um, nowadays, you know, now we're in, in 2021, uh, statistics are estimating that one in 279 Americans has a Lynch mutation and still 95% don't know about it, which means it's really not rare. It's actually very common. It's the most common hereditary uh, cancer uh, mutation. And again, no one knows about it. Mm -hmm. So I know you touched slightly upon it about the symptoms, uh, blood in the stool. Can you dive a little deeper and give us more insight about the symptoms? Well, the symptoms of colorectal cancer typically are, uh, well, there's anemia. Um, so, uh, and, and I can vouch for that because uh, ultimately when I got my second colon cancer, I actually, it, it was 10 years after my first colon cancer. Um, I actually uh, had become a blood donor, you know, like on purpose, you know, um, and um, I went to donate blood uh, in 2007. Uh, it had been maybe six months since my previous donation. And my iron count had dropped like a stone. That's actually how I found out about my second colon cancer. I had no symptoms, but I was anemic. And I didn't, and again, I didn't even know about it. Uh, I was maintaining a schedule that most people would find uh, pretty, uh, pretty heavy, you know, lift. And I was showing no signs of anemia. And that's actually how I found out about it. But aside from anemia, you know, uh, being anemic, um, you, again, you have you have this feeling like you have to go to the bathroom all the time uh, and very little passes. And it's usually kind of uh, um, loose and, and bloody. Uh, that's no other way of putting it. Um, unfortunately, also on the, on the female side and the gynecological side, uh, there really are no 
um, you know, there's no screening, if you will, uh, for the most part for the gynecological cancers, which are pretty prevalent when it comes to Lynch. And, and that's a real issue. So we, we go back to knowing that you have the mutation, being ahead of it, and being able to screen appropriately and frequently uh, to make sure you don't develop cancer, or if you do, uh, you catch it very early. So what are the screening um, options for it? Well, when th there, there are no exact screening guidelines for having Lynch, uh, and obviously male and female are different, um, but typically, um, and, and I found out about this when I started seeing a high-risk oncologist, typically a screening regimen can consist of not just a colonoscopy, but also an upper endoscopy. So you're checking your stomach, your, your entire gastric jacket, gastric tract, if you will, um, not just a, not just having a colon a colon uh, a colonoscopy, excuse me, um, but you can also have uh, CTs, chest, abdomen, and pelvis. Uh, a cystoscopy uh, is is a, a standard as well. Uh, depending on your your oncologist or your physician, uh, you may have a mammogram on occasion. Um, it, it's yet to be. Uh, studies are showing that um, breast cancer is not directly affiliated with uh, Lynch syndrome, but uh, ultimately, you know, when, when we started the foundation and we launched the registry, uh, we're finding a lot of patients who, who get, get cancer uh, from Lynch are also getting breast cancer. So it's a question of whether it's uh, directly related uh, or it's just, uh, you know, it's just something that happens with time, um, but the jury is still out on that. And it's a topic of debate uh, continuously. Um, and of course, and then, and now uh, also a, an MRCP to check the pancreas uh, is also very important. Uh, pancreatic cancer, uh, pretty much all pancreatic cancer patients now are having genetic testing done regardless of their age to check for uh, not only Lynch, but also BRCA and other hereditary cancers. Mm -hmm. And obviously on the female side, you're looking at uh, endometrial biopsies. Um, and, you know, in the case of women, um, you could be, look, you know, the topic of a uh, hysterectomy and oophorectomy is discussed because that is a preventative measure when it comes to the gynecological cancers with Lynch. Mm -hmm. What is the cost of testing like now compared to in the past? <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Uh, cost and 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 unfortunately, cost still seems to be a prohibitive thing. But I think I think it's actually segued into a different world of cost. So a hundred years ago, as I like to say, when I had my genetic testing, um, there was next generation sequencing was barely in its infancy, if at all, and the cost of um, to do germline hereditary cancer testing was very expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you could be looking at 15, 20, $25,000, obviously if with insurance, they're going to pay whatever they feel is usual and customary. But mm -hmm. if you did not have insurance or you had a high deductible, I mean, this was, this was really a daunting, um, figure. And also typically the number of genes that was looked at was very small. Uh, and, and it's not out of the realm to hear about people who were, who had hereditary cancer testing done in the early 2000s and only got tested for BRCA1 and 2 because that was the most well-known, those were the two well-known genes at the time. They come back negative for that and then they, they and, and then someone realizes, wait a minute, it's now 10 years later, there's this whole panel, there are these Lynch genes, there are these other genes, 
maybe I should get screened for those as well because you have the whole family history. But again, um, nowadays, you know, panels are much larger. There's next generation sequencing. So a typical size panel instead of one or two genes is now 30, 40, sometimes even, you know, getting into the 60s. And the cost is a couple of hundred dollars. Uh, it, it's not outside the realm to have a, to be $200 or less with a coupon, which I find a little weird. Uh, a coupon for a genetic test seems, wow. you know, like, uh, you know, I read my Sunday newspaper and, and to see a coupon for a genetic test is, uh, is a little weird, but that's really the case. And um, turnaround time is better. You know, when I got tested, it, it was three months waiting for results. Um, and nowadays you can get results back in a week. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah. But I, you know, when you, when you talk about cost and I hope you don't mind me, you know, going to it is cost is now in terms of time and follow-up. So we have this conversation all the time when I say we, me and, and, and whoever else I'm talking to at the time, typically, uh, the concern is let's say you have genetic testing done. Uh, and you come back positive, then what? I have, I don't want to call it the luxury, but I have the capability of taking time off. I have good insurance. I can do all my follow-up and maintain a schedule that is is kind of consuming. Um, you know, you, you hear all the different screens I go through and all the different positions I have. I can do that. A lot of people can't take that much time off. A lot of people don't have great insurance. They have very high deductibles. So uh, the conversation segues to, let's say I come back positive, then what? What am I going to do? I can't take the time off. I can't afford screening. You're like, it's not an answer, but that's reality. And, and then throw in you know, the potential for uh, discrimination on the life insurance and long-term care insurance side. It's, it's a big issue because... You, you know, life is not easy and, and, you know, covering costs for something like this is, is not easier as well. Exactly. Thanks for shedding some light on that. How has your healing journey been like? I know you're big into soccer, you're very active, but you also have a meditation practice. Well, I wouldn't call it my meditation practice. I call it yoga. Um, I, I will, uh, full disclosure, I've done one meditation practice. It was actually 25 minutes long and it was in the, it was in the Peloton studio. And that was like my only one that I've ever done. I didn't know that they weren't all that long. I guess they're much shorter and to hold one position for 20, 25 minutes to me was wild. Um, that was really tough. Uh, I don't sit still. Um, but I, I have, um, as you alluded to, uh, soccer has been my passion for a hundred years. Uh, I'm, you know, as I like to say, I'm a recovering Long Islander. Um, so I played soccer growing up in Massapequa and it's, and it's continued throughout my lifetime. Uh, it really wasn't only until recently where I stopped playing and, uh, and my kids have aged out, so I'm not coaching them anymore, but it's really been, it's been my passion. And, um, you know, I've always told the kids that uh, if they want to continue playing soccer, it was always their choice. And because I, I've had a number of injuries uh, um, and you have to love the game enough to warrant the injuries. And if you don't, then, then there's no point. Um, but over the last couple of years, especially since uh, last couple of surgeries, I've I've done a lot more on the yoga side and it's been really beneficial. Um, you know, I have arthritis. 
And as, as much as all of the uh, surgeries have taken their toll and, and, you know, having a limited uh, amount of colon and, and a couple other things missing, it's, it's tough. Arthritis is awful. <laughs> it really is. Um, so if, if I can, if I can uh, incorporate yoga and into like cardio, like on, on spinning, like I, um, like I do on the Peloton uh, and be pain-free, um, it's a real blessing. It's nice to wake up in the morning and not, and not hurt, uh, because that's been my life for goodness, 20 some odd years. You're so amazing, David. I can't imagine going through everything you've been through, but yet you are such a strong advocate for people who are going through this. And let's talk about how you, have been, you know, at the forefront of this with your foundation alive and kicking. Well, I, I, I feel like, um, and, and thank you for saying so. I really do appreciate it. And, and I do hear it frequently. Um, but I will also say that, uh, um, I see people go through a lot worse than me and, and the folk hero in, in, as the Dubin male is that we have survived and thrived post surgery after surgery you know my father had three cancers i've had three cancers my brother's still only on one but that's fine um you know it's not a competition but we've been able to maintain a level my father is 88 now and and if i can't give back i don't know who will when we started the foundation and the reason we started the foundation in 2012 is that i came out of my third surgery and my wife and I, Robin, who Robin's the executive director of the foundation, I'm, I'm the mascot. We looked around and really did not see a Lynch syndrome advocacy group in this space. And we felt like if, if you know, if there, if it was a saturated market uh, and, and, you know, I, I don't want to beat up on the breast cancer world, but that is a, that, that's the best example of something that has been uh, brought up a number of years ago and has become very saturated. And uh, if if that was the case for Lynch, we would not have created the foundation, but it obviously was not. And the statistics were there. Um, and that's why we did it. The name Alive and Kicking obviously came from the soccer and also surviving uh, the, the various surgeries and diagnostic testing. We wanted to really make the patient and when I say patient, that patient is someone who either survived or, or the other term is now a previvor, which is someone who has the mutation, who hasn't had cancer yet. We wanted it to be a community for everyone who, you know, in the, in, because it is a whole family thing. And we launched a registry a couple of years ago uh, with uh, Sharon Terry and the Genetic Alliance on the peer platform that was patient driven. So uh, patients are able to upload their data, share their information, um, set their own privacy settings. And because of it, they've actually been able to have this interaction between patient and researchers that wasn't there before. Um, we're in the process of migrating and we literally just relaunched it um, on the Luna DNA platform, uh, which is actually going to make it even more robust and uh, give patients more uh, access and, and more information. And it's really exciting. Um, but I will say this, uh, if you're looking at, if statistically one in 270 
one in 279 Americans has a Lynch mutation, that means there's a million people in the US alone. And if we only have 300 people in our registry, that's not enough. So there's a lot of work that can be done. There's a lot of tremendous upside potential. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, uh, the, the research into Lynch syndrome is really picking up a ton of momentum. You hear about immunotherapy, uh, even on TV now, like commercials are, are, are there uh, because of uh, Lynch patients making a certain type of tumors, um, otherwise known as microsatellite instability high, MSI high. And a lot of these immunotherapies are now being targeted directly towards MSI high tumors. So I hate to say it, but it's actually a good time to have Lynch syndrome if there ever was one. Wow. Would you say that people are talking more about cancer and Lynch syndrome now more than ever before? I would say Lynch syndrome, definitely. Uh, and we really had nowhere to go but up. So from that standpoint, yes. Do I think more people are talking about cancer now? It's hard to judge. I mean, you know, as you get older, you know, you start talking about different topics when you're, you know, when you're in your twenties and thirties, um, unless, you know, unless you have Lynch like me, you're typically not really talking about cancer. It's more of a, a parental thing or a grandparent thing. And you, it's kind of peripheral. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I really can't say, but I, like I said, the, the, the numbers are there and they are getting, they're increasing, mm -hmm. especially for Lynch. Talk us through a, a typical day for you. Typical day. Oh, goodness. Um, so I, I think you know this. Uh, I, I work in the genetic testing space. So um, I've been able to take my uh, advocacy world as well as my healthcare sales professional world and, and merge them. So, um, you know, Robin is the, the, the executive director of the foundation. Uh, I have my day job, as I like to say, where I am talking with physicians um, who are in the, uh, sequencing space in the cancer sequencing space. And we have conversations about, uh, what type of testing and whether they can, should, and, and do, uh, genetic testing in their own practices. Uh, that is, you know, so again, I have a, a job, if you will, uh, and one I'm very proud of because I do have a, a lot of, uh, I do get a lot of satisfaction out of what I do. Um, but interspersed with all that is, uh, depending on the time of day and also depending on whether we're in a pandemic or not, um, I can be living out of a suitcase and, uh, for the last, I would say up and really up until this year, uh, I was doing about 75,000 miles a year on United airlines and I was flying to conferences. I was flying to meetings with, um, you know, academic centers and, and physician practices, um, talking about this and that's in and of itself, business travel, uh, on a, on a regular basis is not easy. I mean, you talk about, uh, incorporating yoga into, into business travel. I mean, that's a topic unto itself. I mean, that's the greatest thing that uh, I've discovered over the last two years is the ability to do yoga in, in your hotel room. Um, to you know, mitigate all of the kinks that you develop while sitting on an airplane for five, six hours at a time. What does self-care mean to you, David? You're a busy guy. You're a husband, father, businessman, three-time cancer survivor. Certainly, you're doing something right. <laughs> share, share the secret sauce. 
<laughs> oh man, secret sauce. Uh, I don't have a secret sauce. I mean, uh, I like to say that I lead by example. And um, like I said, I, you know, I, I will be the first to say that I also have bad days. So, um, you know, there are days when, and, and, and a lot of those days really go back, you know, after probably my third cancer. Um, cause I really bothered. And I will say that when I had my, my kidney tumor, um, you know, I really felt like the wheels were starting to fall off the bus or as I like to say, the old Pontiac, I'm old, <laughs> I'm, I'm old enough to know what that was like. And, um, but you know, I had, I had the good fortune of, of having Robin at my side. I had the boys and, you know, it was one of those, it was like the moonstruck moment, you know, she share slaps the guy and goes, you know, snap out of it. And that's literally what happened. Um, and, you know, it's, it's easy to get caught up in a lot of stuff and there's a lot of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. I just choose to plow through and move forward. Um, and, and that's, that's what I do now, you know, what, what I would consider self-care. I, I have a couple of different versions of what I would consider self-care. Part of it is maintaining my healthcare regimen as far as screenings and, and, you know, I, I, my oncologist, Julia does get mad at me sometimes when I fall behind and I am human, I will fall behind on getting my screenings on occasion. Um, but that's part of it. And the other part is, is staying active. So, uh, you know, it is being on the ball field. It is being on the bike. It is doing yoga. Um, that's kind of my regimen. I mean, do I, I mean, you know, I, I don't exactly have a, I mean, I do have a dermatologist for, for Lynch, but I don't exactly have a skincare regimen. My skincare regimen is more like sweat until, you know, there's nothing left and, and then take a shower and, and it, it's actually worked out pretty well. Um, and, and also having this hairdo, uh, <laughs> helps as well because it's easy to maintain. It's just to take my wall trimmers and, and uh, you know, it's the same setting for both my hair and my, and my head uh, once a week. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> so David, my podcast is about dismantling ideas and thought patterns that once held you back. Can you give us some insight on any awakenings or ideas that you may have had recently or in the past? I like that. Um, I would say the the first thing that would come to mind would be um, the interaction I've had with physicians has been, I would consider a good one. And, and again, as a patient advocate, we've been able to uh, get invited to uh, the table, if you will. And, and I think a lot of it comes from the approach that I take with physicians. First of all, they're human and, and we need to recognize that. And, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff being thrown at them that um, they just didn't sign up for 20, 30 years ago in med school, uh, including genetics. They just didn't know it. And I think have, I think as a patient advocate, I've gotten past the, um, the, the, the trepidation of having a conversation with not only my physicians, but other physicians about care, mm-hmm. um, because they are open to those conversations. I think you, you, we've, we've gotten away from the stereotypical white coat. This is how it gets done. Move on mentality. And now it's a conversation. And I think if you can find the balance between patient, patient advocate, 
um, and, and, you know, your physician practice, you really can get a lot more accomplished collaboratively than antagonistically. And I would say that is probably, yeah, that's big. That's been my biggest aha moment, literally since we started the, the foundation, you know, almost 10 years ago. Love it. If there was one thing that you wanted people to take away from this conversation today, what would it be? Just one thing. Um, you can. Okay. Well, no, I, I, we say it all the time and, and being your own advocate is still uh, super important. Um, you really have to, you have to do your homework, uh, stand up for yourself, uh, but again, approach it in a fashion that allows you to get things done. And, and that's what we've done. And, you know, again, I, I just try to lead by example wherever I can. And, and, you know, uh, I say that I'm alive and kicking and, and I mean it literally and figuratively. Amazing. Please tell our listeners where they can find you online and especially if they'd like to connect. Sure. So the foundation website is aliveandkicking.org, A-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-K-I-C-K-N. There's no I, no G. Um, and uh, that's the .org. And we are on uh, most of your social media. So uh, it's either at alive underscore and underscore kicking uh, on Twitter. Uh, I myself am alive and kicking DD, uh, obviously with the, with the initials, uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, also on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, because we kind of have to, everyone else is there. So we have a, we're, we're not super active on Facebook and we're not big on to, we, we, I mean, Facebook has taken a knock on the whole privacy side and I think it's warranted, but we still have a Facebook page and there are still people there and they're, um, but you know, that the, the registry is separate and it's on the alive and site. And, uh, we kind of keep it that way. Good to know. And I will be sure to include all of that in the show notes David, thank you so much for your willingness to come on and speak with me today. Thank you for all the good work that you're doing in this world to help people navigate through Lynch syndrome. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. David is truly phenomenal. Improving the lives of individuals and families affected by Lynch syndrome and associated cancers through research, education, and screening, and all by his foundation, Alive and Kickin'. You know, it's these mindset shifts that truly make a difference. If you like this podcast, share it with someone and be sure to leave a review. Till next time, here's to dismantling you.